Hey, everybody. This is Heidi St. John. Welcome to Off the Bench with Heidi St. John. Today is Tuesday, February 2nd. I'm so glad you guys are here. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the culture. I think that we are living in an incredible time for the church, and we need to keep our eyes on the future. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. So thanks for tuning in today. I am so glad that you guys are continuing to join us here at the podcast. I wanted to update you on a couple of things. First of all, you may have noticed that I have not been on social media for several days. That's because as per usual, uh, Facebook has locked me out of my account, meaning that I can see it, but I can't comment. And so I haven't been able to post anything. And there have been so many things happening that I have wanted to talk about. And I thought, you know what, that's just a good time for me to just chill out. <laughs> so I'm taking it. I'm taking the opportunity and I'm just like, Lord, you know, I, I'm just praying for the people at Facebook because they need Jesus. And a part of me just thinks, you know what? Facebook keeps us up. They're just going to go the way of, you know, MySpace. I don't know if anybody remembers that, or maybe you're old enough to remember Zanga and, you know, all these different social media sites when they first started. Uh, Facebook's gone like full communist now. So it's kind of a weird, you know, we're finding ourselves in a really weird situation in the country. And I started thinking about the future and just reminding myself and my kids that God's plans are always good. And so, you know, we're kind of at the beginning of the week. I'm going to have my friend Rick Green on tomorrow. You guys are not going to want to miss it. We're talking power packed, um, straight up encouragement and also some instructions to help you guys get off the bench and onto the battlefield. But we've got to be keeping our eyes on the ball. Because the ball isn't here. The ball is in heaven. <laughs> we're going, we're moving that way. You know, I've been encouraging you guys for a long time to live like you're leaving. We want to make an impact here. But while we make that impact, we remember that this world is not our home. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And so the Bible goes on to say, I mean, so much that we read in God's word about our future. Matthew 6, uh, verses 31 to 34, don't worry about what's coming up, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And you guys remember, we're just passing through Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits on the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not the things about this earth. And finally, I was thinking this morning as I was getting ready to go and uh, my grandkids had spent the night. So we were, you know, I was having them engage with us with school. We've been reading the light and the glory and we've you know, we've got a globe out and we're studying geography and studying the history of our country again, <laughs> you know, and uh, my grandkids were sitting there and I was thinking to myself, this, you know, all the pressures that are on, I think, ordinary people right now, uh, particularly if you're working or if you're like me and you, you know, I'm, I'm rushing into the studio on Monday mornings and I was sitting there thinking, you know what, I'm actually doing the more important thing right now. The more important thing in that moment was sitting down and reading the Bible with my grandkids and my uh, my three younger daughters. That was the thing I needed to 
refocus. And I know some of you need that reminder today. Some of you need a picture of a godly woman who is unafraid of the future. I've been, I getting, you know, so many, it's almost, I can almost just hardly stand it. So many uh, emails from you, which by the way, I'm not saying I don't like that. Keep them coming because I love hearing from you, but a lot of you are afraid of the future. And listen to what the Bible teaches is a woman that is after God's heart, a woman who's not afraid. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs without fear of the future. And when she speaks, her words are wise and she gives instructions with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her saying, there are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. That's Proverbs 31 verses 25 to 31. And as we think about the future today, and as we talk about what's happening in the culture and where we're headed and and the headlines are are, uh, frustrating and certainly we're watching, I actually think part of me is just like, you know what, we got Biden in there now and people are starting to go, whoa, I I didn't realize he was going to do that, right? This stuff needs to happen. And as believers, what we have to do is continue to keep our eyes on heaven and continue to trust the Lord and believe that God is doing something. And we are in an incredible moment as the church of Jesus Christ right now. But it's not the first time we've been here. Paul was here too. And this month, I am uh, where I'm going to be studying through the book of Titus with you guys. Uh, and as we begin the study, I want you guys to just lean in, ask the Holy Spirit to soften your hearts, because soft hearts are what God requires of his disciples. Learning the word of God should equal following it. I was amazed last week, you know, when I, I got those questions and I've been getting fielding a lot of questions about what happens in the culture. And this is my passion, right? Meeting you guys at the intersection of faith and culture saying, hey, get off the bench, get onto the battlefield. Let's stop whining about what's going on and say, Father, what would you have me do? What would you have? And we know for sure the first thing he wants us to do is to be still and to listen. We know he doesn't want us to walk in fear. We know he wants us to be discerning and to make wise and good decisions. So how does that flesh out in our everyday lives? Well, when you guys send me questions, and I'm so thankful for the questions because what's happening is I'm getting an opportunity, hopefully, to respond to you and help you um, apply God's word to your everyday life because learning the word should equal following it. So it should mean that we don't just look for the sins of other people. We look first for our own sins and our own shortcomings. And in the waiting, which is where we are right now, waiting for the Lord to return in our searching, we're searching for answers. God is here. He is still at work. And the question is, will we let him do the work that needs to be done so that we can be that uh, beautiful chaste bride that Jesus is returning for? So if we're going to live a rapture-ready life, we must be the set-apart people that God asks us to be. So as I move into the study in the book of Titus, and I hope you guys will join me, you can download that study at MomStrong International. 
and we just wrapped up a four-month study in the book of Revelation. Uh, super exciting. I know a lot of you have, have uh, been writing in and telling me how much more peace you have now, knowing that all this stuff, like for the end times things to fulfill, you guys, the United States is going to have to abandon Israel. Do I want that to happen? No, but I because I, I know that it's wrong. But we also know that those are the things that are some of the things that are going to have to take place before uh, we can see these prophecies fulfilled, before the end times uh, really kicks into full gear. And as we study Titus, we're doing it with our eyes on the coming of the Lord Jesus. And as Paul neared the end of his life, he saw a foreshadowing of what would become a terrible blight on the newly formed church in Crete. So in Greece, and this blight was relativism. And relativism basically is a theory that knowledge is relative to the limited nature of the mind and the conditions of knowing. In other words, uh, truth is relative. So my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. We can really thank Oprah Winfrey for making this, you know, you know, into the church, it kind of seeped into the church because we all grew up, at least I did, you know, watching Oprah Winfrey in the afternoons when I get home from school. And Paul was dealing with this in the church in Crete. And as he was training uh, Titus, his response came in the form of three letters, and we call them the pastoral epistles. So First Timothy, Second Timothy, and the book of Titus. In these letters, Paul warned against a time of terrible persecution for the church and bolstered the church by reminding her of her original purpose, which was to live a set-apart life, to live as set-apart people who not only knew the Word of God, but lived it. And this is where we're sorely lacking in the church right now. And many of us can relate to the situation that Paul was addressing in Titus, namely that the church, which was located in Crete, which if you're not familiar, it was it's a large island near Greece. It was surrounded by a radically pagan culture. And in his letter, Paul charged Titus to lead and bring order to this young church, and he knew it wasn't going to be easy. Crete had a reputation for wickedness, and it was known for this wickedness around the region. And so Paul visited several places, including the island of Crete, uh, and he wrote this letter to Titus. Most biblical scholars think it was around 62 AD from somewhere in Macedonia. And just five years later, In May or June of 68 AD, Paul was likely beheaded by the Romans under Emperor Nero. And Paul's purpose in writing the book of Titus was to instruct Titus in how to organize and set up the leadership of the church, but he didn't stop there. He gave excellent instruction regarding how to live as a Christian. And so for this month's study, I've titled it Walk This Way, How to Live a Rapture-Ready Life, in part because that's the point of Titus. Do you want to follow Jesus? Walk this way. This is Paul telling him, this is how you do it. And as the church age nears its end, it's going to be more important than ever that as the church, we focus on getting ready to meet the Lord. Titus reminds us that we have a calling because we belong to Christ. We are his bride and we must be ready to be the church, even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of attack. Titus offers us answers for many of the questions that the church is asking right now. And so we're going to be addressing the topic of relativism 
you know, very, very, very hot topic in the church today. And definitely at Mom Strong International, which is the, the ministry to women that I head up. But certainly relativism hasn't crept into the church, right? Uh, it, it didn't just, it didn't just seep in there uh, recently. It's been coming in for a long time. Relativism has another form that it takes in the mouths of God's people. And it usually comes out with words like, well, that's just your conviction, or I don't feel convicted about doing that. Now, to be clear, God works by the means of personal conviction very frequently, but we must have discernment to understand when things like this are being used to excuse the sin in our lives. This is why I answered the question that was that was asked me yesterday about whether or not someone is born a certain way. Yes, we are all born with sin. The question is not, are we born with sin? The question becomes then, what do we do about the sin in light of God's word? So is there something in your life that people have convicted you about that you pass on as a matter of personal conviction? This is relativism. And uh, this is part of the study at MSI. We're doing something now called Anchored. And Anchored is really uh, meant for you to have jumping off points of conversation. So whenever you see that little uh, that little icon, the little anchor icon, that was written uh, in part for uh, parents to really engage young people. And one of the things we want you to engage in is the topic of relativism. Uh, we see it all the way through our churches right now, and we've got to, got to, got to get a handle on it. Some of the things that I'm going to be focusing on for the, for, well, for most of the week, I'm going to be talking to my friend, Rick Green. We're going to be just hitting on all the things that are happening right now in the culture. On Friday, my friend Ginger Hubbard's going to come on the show and we're going to talk about six things that discipline mistakes that parents are making. You guys are going to want to take notes for that. So much of what we're doing right now is aimed at equipping you to help you to get off the bench and onto the battlefield. And the battle is real. I mean, it is. It is raging out there right now. Um, I want to answer a couple of questions that have been coming in from listeners today. And uh, I hope you guys are, if you haven't turned in a question to me and you're saying, man, I really want to know uh, about this or about that, you can do it by going to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. All right, this one comes in from Jolene in Snohomish, Washington. Jolene said, while I know you feel strongly about homeschooling, I have a question about public schools. We just moved from Seattle proper to a more conservative area in the state and Seattle School District is making headlines. They have committed to spending a week focusing on Black Lives Matter, which by the way, you guys, Black Lives Matter is not an organization that cares about black people. Black Lives Matter is a political machine. That's it. And the schools have bought into this, the churches have bought into it, and um, we need to use discernment. So the schools have committed to focusing on Black Lives Matter with the teachers, and they have the editorial power while discussing with the students. Okay, so she's asking, where do we start to nip this thing before they try that here? Uh, my husband walked into Safeway last night and he never shops with me. Uh, he saw I didn't have a mask on and he removed his after walking out. He said, wow, that was nice. And nobody even said anything. You guys, I'm telling you, this is this is part of you exercising your personal freedom, realizing, you know, you're, you're hearing Fauci say now that not not one mask, but two. I think we just have Fauci wear the whole darn box. <laughs> Just put the whole box on your face. That should do it. That should, that's, you should be, you know, safe after that. All right. So Jolene, let me get back to your question. I am very familiar with Snohomish having grown up. My husband grew up in Mount Vernon. He was born in Seattle. We're very, very familiar with the district. I would be very careful in thinking that any school district anywhere near King County is going to be able to escape this insanity. 
You have a superintendent of public education, Chris Reichdahl, who is absolutely hell-bent on uh, pushing radical transgenderism, uh, Planned Parenthood into the schools via the health clinics and all those things. I actually don't think, and I'm not trying to like, you know, rain in your parade, uh, but I guess it probably is raining in Seattle because right? it sure is raining in Portland right now. But I do think that for one thing you can start, and I'm I'm just telling you honestly, I don't think you, you will be successful. And the reason I don't think you're going to be successful is that the school boards are stacked against you right now. The school boards are stacked against you. The governor is against you. The superintendent of education is against you. We we have allowed this stuff in Washington state to the point now where there's absolutely no chance that they are going to listen to parents because they feel too emboldened. So if you want a, a place to start to try to keep this from coming into your school, I would start by getting parents together who are actually committed to the point where they're saying, if this comes to our school, we're letting our school know now we are withdrawing our children. That's what needs to happen. Because what happens is we've become like these parents who, and Ginger and I are going to be talking about this on Friday, but we threaten our kids. You know, if you don't, if you guys don't stop that, mommy's going to blah, blah, blah. And you know, you have no intention of doing it. And so the kids get more emboldened and they become more disobedient or more disrespectful because they don't respect and don't believe that the parents are going to actually follow through on the threat that they made. If it was me and my kids were in the public schools, which they're not anymore, I told you guys, I pulled my children out of the public schools when I realized that uh, they're broken. I mean, I, I believe that they're broken beyond repair, honestly. And so I would encourage you, get a group of parents together who's going to be committed to the point to let them know, go on the offense. We're always on defense. Go on the offense. I would go on offense. I would head up. I would be meeting with the school board and with the principal and just saying, hey, we see this is happening in Seattle. If this comes to our district, we want your word that this will not be implemented in our schools. And if it is implemented in our schools, we will withdraw our children. End of story. Money talks, you guys. Uh, your kids, when they leave, the money goes with them. And uh, we're seeing right, right now in in my area, lots of school levies, uh, school levies and bonds, the difference. So they say levies are for learning, bonds are for buildings. You can typically, that's about how I think this is about right. I'm telling parents never vote for another bond or levy again. Money is not going to fix what's wrong with our schools. I noticed that the Battleground School District sent out a flyer to everybody and they're saying, you know, please give us money. And here's why, here's why we want you to do it. And here's all the wonderful things we're going to be doing. Forget the fact that the teachers unions are not allowing that they're not the teachers won't go back to school I'm sorry I'm not trying to be a jerk these teachers who won't go back to school are cowards I thought you guys cared about kids uh you don't you know I'm watching teachers unions fighting tooth and nail to not have uh, teachers go back and teach their kids and yet they want us to pass levy after levy after bond after bond after bond and I read this one that came in from the Battleground School District. And guess what was the little tiny icon in the bottom of the flyer? Social emotional learning. Run for your life. This is basically putting your kids on a psychological, uh, uh, um, what's the right word? They're spying on your kids. I can't think of a better way to say it. It's horrible. Um, they're going to be evaluating your kids based on how they respond to certain situations. This is not the job of the schools. And frankly, it makes me sick that our, our kids are being uh, indoctrinated in these schools. They're not sticking to reading, writing, and arithmetic. Our schools are in absolute crisis mode. And now they've gone online and it's even worse than it was before. And they want us to give them a raise. No. No to the no, no, no.
and uh, money ain't going to fix what's wrong with our what's wrong with our uh, with our classrooms. And so, Jolene, I appreciate that you are uh, that you're paying attention for one thing. And yes, you're right. I feel strongly about homeschooling. But the reason that I feel strongly is because I believe that the public schools are beyond repair at this point. And so if your kids are still in the schools, I'd go on the offense. I'm tired of always playing defense, you know, time to go on the offense. So that was a great question, Jolene. Thank you so much for sending it in. You guys, I'm going to answer one more question today, and then I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up for today. Reminding you again, that it matters how you guys are having conversations with your children. Because we want to engage our children in every a scenario that we possibly can and talking to our children about what's happening, talking to them about what's happening in the culture, talking to them about what's happening in the schools. If you say we're thinking about taking you out of the, out of this, um, the schools, we want, to, they, they need to know why. And so I get lots and lots and lots of questions about uh, private schools, uh, private Christian schools versus homeschooling. What if one of the parents works at a Christian school? Listen, you guys, I don't have, a, my beef is not with the Christian schools. My beef with was, is with the public schools and with private schools who are woke. And I'm just going to leave that right there. Uh, one of you wrote in and asked, what if one of the parents works at a Christian school? And, you know, you probably heard, I'm assuming you're going to say, hey, my kids have free tuition. I do not think that there is ever a substitute for parents being with their children. And I mean it all the way through high school. I don't think that there's a, a good substitute for that, even a Christian school. I think a Christian school is a much better alternative than the public school. But I, don't, but I still believe that homeschooling is the better option because I believe that parents are supposed to be involved intimately in the training and teaching of their children. And I graduated from a private Christian school, and I can tell you right now, there are a lot of hanky-panky going on at that private Christian school. Why? Because the parents aren't there. We are so used to dropping our kids off. So used to saying, hey, see you later. Youth pastor is going to take you guys on Wednesday night. Your teacher's going to take you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then mom's going to, you know, get a job or mom and dad are going to whatever it is that mom and dad are going to do. And we're giving up these years with our kids that we will literally never get back. And so do I think it's sin to send your kid to a private Christian school? Absolutely not. Do I think that there's a better way? Yes. Yes, I do. And so I've told you guys the story before that, you know, years ago, my husband was working on staff for a church that had a school. They offered us full-time, uh, they offered us basically as one of the perks of working for the church, free tuition. Our kids could go to the Christian school. Well, we'd been homeschooling for a few years by then, but I was kind of tired and kind of wishing I could, you know, uh, get a break. And I remember just thinking, this is amazing. We've just won the lottery. We're going to get to put our kids uh, for free. We're going to get free tuition to this Christian school. And you guys, the Lord so convicted my husband and I that we turned it down. And I'll never forget the pastor of that church just looking at us like we had six heads. Why would you do that? We just gave you guys, you know, what, what most people would kill for, which is a chance to put your kids in a private Christian school for free. But by that time, we had learned that Luke 640 is true. When a student is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. There is no substitute for a good parent doing the work of discipling and training up their own children. Homeschooling does not mean that you teach them every little thing. Um, I'm here at the Homeschool Resource Center right now. And as, I'm, uh, and as I'm recording this podcast, I'm looking out the studio window and it looks right into the pottery studio here at the Homeschool Resource Center. And I'm watching one of my daughters learning how uh, to become 
uh, a master potter. That's why I told her, you're going to be a master potter by the time you're done with this. But the point is, I know what she's doing. I know who she's hanging out with. I know who her teacher is. This is what I mean. This is why homeschooling, I think, is has been that the Lord has blessed it so much. And the people that hate homeschooling and that hate homeschool freedom uh, are very much against the autonomy of parents making decisions for their own children. They would love to see homeschooling illegal in many cases. Keep your eyes on the ball. Keep your eyes on the ball. We're going to we are going to fo- continue to focus here at the podcast on uh, the future, where we're going as a country, how we can get off the bench and onto the battlefield. I think we can absolutely do it in the field of, uh, of education. I think a lot of you have been encouraging you forever run for school board, for goodness sake, go on, go on offense. Um, maybe this should be my new theme for the for the next couple of months. Like, hey, how about we quit playing defense and we start going on offense? And we can do it. Put on the full armor of God. Start telling the truth. Get out into the culture. It starts locally and ask the Lord to help you. So I appreciate you guys and all the questions that you're sending in. If you would like to send in a question about uh, anything, actually, I like to talk about everything. I love to be right here hanging out with you guys at the intersection of faith and culture. You can do that by going to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. Before I leave today, I want to say thank you. So many of you guys encouraging us every day. Uh, Cynthia from Millington, Tennessee. Thank you so much for your support of the podcast. Jennifer from Renton and Debbie from Kennewick, who said, Dear Heidi, your podcast and Bible studies are such a blessing in my life. Uh, you guys are a blessing in our life. We want to thank you so much for coming alongside and supporting us financially. We read every single letter that comes in. We notice every comment. We thank you. Thank you for leaving reviews for the podcast over at iTunes. You guys just helped us get into the top 60. That is kind of amazing. So since June, we've passed 5 million downloads and we have now hit the top 60 for um, iTunes in religion and spirituality. So Keep listening. Keep sharing the podcast. I'm going to go be less and less on social media. This is where uh, I will be. I want to let you guys know, I will also be at Church on the Rock for their women's conference. I'm very, very excited about that. Uh, that's happening in Battleground, Washington, February 12th and 13th. I will also be there on the 11th for just their ordinary women's night. Uh, but this is really cool. You guys can register. And I'm telling you, I think you're going to be, you're, you're going to be super blessed. They They're going to serve you dinner. They're going to serve you breakfast. It's going to be great. So it starts Friday evening at 5 p.m. At 6.30, they're going to be serving dinner. And from 7.30 to 9.30, we're going to be doing some worship. I'll be teaching. And then um, again on Saturday morning, starting at 9 a.m. until 12. You guys are going to be so blessed. So if you're in the Vancouver area, check it out at Church on the Rock. You will be so glad that you came. I will link back to that in the show notes today. We love you guys. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you back here tomorrow with my friend, Rick Green. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.